Well, well good morning again. <laughs> We're going to talk from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13 this morning. If you were to meet a, a brother or a sister from the Corinthian assembly on the street and talk to them, and they started witnessing to you, you'd hear a clear gospel. They heard the gospel as Paul preached it. They received it, and they stood in it. And there, there was no question about the gospel they had received. Paul reiterates it again in 1 Corinthians 15. We won't go into that this morning, but... Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's how it started. That was, and then he was buried. He rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures. That was the gospel. Galatians had wandered off into adding legalism into their message. So when they would witness to you, they'd say, well, you had to trust Christ, and he asked, had to obey the uh, Jewish law to really be assured of heaven. Uh, the Corinthians were not like that. They did have some problems in their assembly. So if this person who was witnessing to you, um, if you did trust Christ, knowing that you had to face God eventually, and here was a God-given gift that you could trust Christ as your personal Savior, you might receive him just then. I know Russ does a lot of witnessing on the street, and it's probably people who get saved. Maybe the first time they hear the message, they trust Christ. And there were probably some Corinthians who worked it that way, but maybe some through uh, a family a connection. But if you then were invited to their meeting, that was a different story. That was kind of strange. So we're going to just use your imagination for a second and put on your robes, you know, like they were in those days. And you're going to watch people come in. And there's going to be some wealthy people coming in with big picnic baskets full of food, of wine, and they're there for a party. And then there's going to be some uh, servants coming who are uh, uh, poor, but they, they still look dignified. Then there will be some beggars coming in, okay, people who have trusted Christ on the streets. All different types of people. Uh, it's just like Los Angeles. Uh, so these folks are coming then. They come in. And right away, those with the big picnic baskets will start eating, okay, and they'll start drinking. And those who are poor might probably be sitting in a separate section because those clear divisions in this particular local church. And they would start, um, those who had the food would start eating, and in fact, they'd almost be, they'd be drunk. And then the meeting would start, okay, their agape feast or their remembrance feast. And some would get up and start speaking in a strange language. This was very important to them because it sounded like it was otherworldly. You know, this is really in tune with the spiritual world. If we can speak in an unknown, a foreign language, and they start speaking this language, and it sounds, you're a visitor. You don't understand a word that's going on. They're, they're jabbering almost. You'd say, these people are crazy. That was a problem Paul had to deal with in his first letter. And we'll talk about that because they thought this was a spiritual gift, and indeed it was. And it could be used in a public way as long as you had somebody to interpret. But if nobody could interpret it, it didn't make much sense speaking in tongues, or that's the way they described it. Uh, some people today call this a foreign language, uh, an earthly language that you could speak supernaturally, or some people believe it's even angelic language, uh, which you can't speak. Uh, who knows how the angels speak? 
But in any case, nobody could understand what was going on. So the important thing was, even though they took this as a spiritual gift, this is from God, this message, uh, the, the ability to do this, he starts listening, here are some things that God has given you because you are a Christian. There's a manifestation of the Spirit, yes, in each life, each, each person's life. And everybody has something, but nobody has everything. And that's kind of the basic rule that he starts out with. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll go through some verses here describing what these spiritual gifts are. And trust me, elders believe this is really important because they can't do everything themselves in an assembly. Uh, so they need others who have some gift to take part and to contribute to the assembly. And with God's leading, with God's help, this ability to help in an assembly, uh, it comes through the Holy Spirit, not from self, but through the Holy Spirit. So let's start out with verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He starts out by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wants them to bring them up to the same level as the other assemblies he's been talking to in terms of what spiritual gifts really are. I do not want you to be ignorant. And we'll go down to verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So we'll just start there describing what is a spiritual gift. God has given you because you have trusted Christ an ability, let's call it an, uh, an ability, one, one commentator calls it a spiritual enablement, a capacity for a specific service. And uh, we don't know what that gift is. I don't know what that gift is for you. In fact, online I found a questionnaire you could go through, online, called Spiritual Gifts. And just go through and it'll tell you at the end of this what your spiritual gift is. I tried it. <laughs> I, said, I wonder how accurate this thing is. It's called spiritualgiftsonline.com. So I went through it, and uh, there are seven questions. You kind of answer those. Seven more questions, you answer those. Seven more questions, you answer those. So after four pages of this, I said, well, I'm kind of busy. But uh, let's, just, let's, let's see what the conclusion is, because you could go quickly then to the end. There were 100 questions, actually, if you wanted to go through this thing. And didn't it nail it? I thought, you know, I'm old enough to know what my spiritual gifts are. I've tried everything in the assembly, from making the announcements to putting tables away, folding chairs, teaching Sunday school. I've done everything. That's the thing that really works. And it did. Believe it or not, it worked. And they nailed it, what my spiritual gift was. Um, in any case, I don't know what yours is. But God has given you a spiritual enablement, an enablement to do something that's going to do what? That's going to meet a need within the assembly. So here's you with your gift, and here's the need in a local church. There's some connection that you can make there, and God has enabled you to be able to do that. And in Romans 12 and 6, we read, a gifts differ according to the grace that is given to us. And I'll take two examples. One is P 
teaching. You have a spiritual gift of teaching. Because uh, we read here, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit, the God in you, ma making himself manifest in your life, has given you the ability to teach. He's also given you maybe somebody else, maybe you. You can have more than one. You can't have them all, but you can have more than one. But he might have given you the ability to express hospitality, to make somebody feel welcome. Okay, uh, so that's, that's, the, that's your gift. Now, there are differences of ministries, it says. So I was trying to think, well, what are some ministries here in our local church? What are the teaching opportunities and here's the list I, I made, and it's not complete, but I thought we could be a Sunday school teacher. You can work in Awana and listen to the students, uh, the, the children uh, give their verses. In each case, if there's a mistake, you might be able to explain something, what that verse really means. You see, you're, you're explaining God's word in a, in a way that's been enabled by the Holy Spirit. TNT, uh, brigades, to be a leader in brigades, that's a spiritual gift. Uh, you might be able to teach in that. There's a lot of administration gift required in something like that as well. But I'm just talking about teaching right now. Uh, teaching prisoners to the prison ministry that uh, Magdi has set up. Wednesday night teaching. Uh, home Bible study teaching. Many opportunities within an assembly. So I would call these differences of ministries. There's a general need. And you are really prepared to, to, to meet that need. Another is hospitality. Uh, you serve at conference meals, you Sunday refreshments. You can prepare the food. Um, uh, Wednesday, uh, let's see what I, okay, cleaning up after the food is served. Okay, these are all different, uh, different workings of, this, of these various ministries. So, so those, are, those are the diversities of activities. That's what I was getting to. But it's the same God who works all in all. If we're doing it enabled by the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk more and more about this as we go on this morning. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Nobody has everything. Everybody has something. That's really important. And they're all honorable. Some might be more spectacular than others, but they're all honorable. This, he gives a list here of some here. Paul does, in verse, starting with verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, you might have a lot of knowledge, but to apply that in a complicated situation and resolve an issue typically between people is a real gift. That's the gift of wisdom. So in the end, everybody stands back. Everybody has won. They're all better before the Lord because you've worked this thing out. Uh, that's a tremendous gift. So that's one gift. Another through the Spirit. Another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. You may have an understanding of God's word and, and because you've taken the time to read it and you've read the commentaries, you, you've got a good feel for it and you're able to ex then express it. Another, verse 9, a gift of faith by the same Spirit. You trust God no matter what happens. Nothing's going to shake your faith in God. No matter what the circumstances, it's not going to shake your faith in God working on your behalf. That's a gift. 
another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. Uh, this is before the Bible was uh, put together, so in prophecy you're really getting something, a direct revelation from God that you're able to share with the others. A lot of these have to do with the early church, the, the great need for these things, and the signs of miracles. Uh, so as he puts together the list. The very last one he puts down is tongues, another interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So many gifts he gives here, and you can go through, I think Ephesians 4 has other gifts, Romans has other gifts, uh, administration helps. The list goes on and on and on, because it takes a lot to build an assembly. And Paul takes the picture of a human body and starts explaining that. He says, let's put it in context of a human body. I heard this story. A Bible study group met in a home to study how various ministries should work in the body of Christ. One member commented, I don't understand how different gifts can work together. At that moment, a woman accidentally dropped her cup, which broke and spilled coffee all over the floor. Each group member responded differently to the mishap according to their spiritual gifts. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. The teacher gave some advice. Next time, if you will put your cup on the coffee table, that won't happen again. That's the teacher. Next, the administrator responded by organizing a cleanup committee. Bill, please go find a mop. Sally, could you help him with a towel? Bill, who had the gift of service, hurried to get the mop. Sally, who had the gift of helps, followed Bill and said, I'll help you. The person with the gift of exhortation said, we all make mistakes, so don't let it get you down. The person with the gift of mercy put her arm around the woman, patted her hand, and said, I feel so badly for you. You see how it's working together? It's, it's good. The person with the gift of giving exclaimed, I'll buy a new set of coffee mugs to replace the broken one. They all used their gifts together to resolve the situation. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So then Paul goes to, to talk about uh, how a church is like a body. Christ is the head of this body. And each organ, each limb is important to the functioning of a body. I don't know if you know this, but every cell in your body that has a nucleus has the same DNA. And as, you're, as you grow different, um, I can't explain it, but I do know that uh, your heart will take some DNA and get some, the information it needs from the DNA and construct a heart. Same with your liver, same with your arms, same with your eyes, same with your ears. But they all have the same DNA. And so it is in an assembly of believers. They all have some manifestation of the Spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit drawing us to Christ, you see. And that's, that's why he takes this picture. It's so beautiful. We all have the same, within our own bodies, the same DNA. So in the body of Christ, we all have a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And working together uh, is his picture of how one part can help the other. So that's what he goes to in verse 12. 
For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body, being many, are one, are one body, so also in Christ. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now, one of the problems, and Paul talks about this very, this very first, is that Gee, my, my ministry is so small, nobody notices me. Uh, I'm almost invisible. Um, that's, Paul deals with that first. I feel so dispensable. I could leave and I would disappear. Okay? Nobody, nobody would miss me. And that is, that is a real problem. The bigger the assembly, the more that is a problem, actually, because there's so much activity going on, you know, and you may not be in the center where all the decisions are being made, but still, God has given you a purpose there. Um, so that's a problem we have to deal with in a, in a large assembly like ours. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? It'd be like... Uh, uh, Okay, a good example is uh, the eye gets to see everything, but I'm only a hand, uh, so I, you know, I'm not that important. Or if I'm hidden, you know, like your heart, your intestines, your stomach, uh, they're hidden, but how important they are to the functioning of your body. If your stomach hurts, you know it, right? If it suffers, you suffer, even though it's hidden. So a lot of things get a lot of spectacular glory, you know. You, you see an ad, you see a woman's beautiful eyes in an advertisement, you know, well, that's great, but, but there's more to her than that, okay? There's more to the body of Christ than getting up on the podium and, and speaking. There's more than making announcements. There's more than uh, leading the music, playing the piano, uh, uh, serving the food. There's more to it than that. There's, there needs to be a glue holding this together, and everybody has to have a part. I had an unfortunate experience of going to a small assembly one time. It was really small. And we visited, and not one person came up and said hello. I mean, for a tiny assembly, that's fatal. Right? And nobody says hello to you. Well, that's the least you could do is greet somebody. You might, you might not think you have the gift of hospitality, but hey, you can say hello. Uh, right? And uh, somebody with the gift of hospitality will say, come on over, we're going to have coffee over here. You know, why don't you have some coffee, and where are you from? You know, you kind of start that kind of a discussion. That's a person with a gift. It's not discussed much in this chapter, but over in Ephesians we find out there are people who have extraordinary gift. Uh, in the gift of evangelism, for example, uh, you have a person like that, you have a gift God has given you to the church. Somebody with an extraordinary gift. Somebody with an extraordinary gift of hospitality. Uh, that, that, that person is a gift to the local assembly. Most of us have just, you know, modern amounts of gift. But sometimes you get a super spectacular gift in your assembly, and it's, you just praise God for it, right? It's a gift he's given us. So anyway, uh, you're not an I. Can you say you're not of the body? Well, no. You are a part of the body, but it may be, Paul says here in verse uh, six, uh, 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? He repeats it again, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Now the next problem he deals with in the matter of gifts is, my gift is more important than yours. Okay, that you're diminishing others. And what does he say? He says, we'll just read one here. Uh, verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Diminishing others, and that happens too. I think, in, uh, I haven't seen it in our local assembly that much, but, uh, but the, what I sense in our assembly, and I'm just sharing my own feelings is the fact that I'm not that important. That's what I've sensed. But the fact that somebody boasts, oh, I have a great gift, you know, and everything, I haven't noticed that as much. Um, an example, I guess, if somebody thinks they're more important, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. If you have a speck in your eye, what does it take to get rid of the speck? Well, your hand has to come up and pull your eyelid down, you know, and you. You get a tear going, and then it washes it away. But could, you have, could an eye do that on its own? Well, no. So it takes some coordination, some working together for the body to work together. And they do this in love. And we'll be talking about that in a few minutes. They're hidden organs. But you do know when they suffer. So you might be an eye but, or a hand. But man, if your stomach starts to turn, uh, it's gripping your stomach, right? Uh, because it's not the whole body in itself. You depend on so many functions. And in an assembly this size, there are many things that are hidden. Uh, do you know where the bread comes from on Sunday morning? Most of you don't. Cindy Lohman brings it. Okay? Uh, do you know where uh, we had light lights problems? Do you know who fixed that? Well, it was Rod, but who knows? Nobody knows, it's invisible. So many things are invisible, yet we meet comfortably week after week, and we just uh, take it for granted. But it's the assembly, it's the brothers and sisters working together that makes this happen, you see. And, uh, and I think if there is a need, and we'll find out next Sunday night, you'll find out all the things that are going on that will maybe give you a sense of where I can apply my gift I might, might not be doing it to the fullest extent now. Might not be doing it at all. I'm just a visitor. Where do you fit in your local assembly? What can you contribute? God has given you a spiritual enablement to help the body function. And it might be invisible, but it's needed. So we'll, we'll skip over some of this, but go down to verse 31 but earnestly desire the best gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. He talks just before this, he talks, well, might as well go back just to 28, and God has appointed those in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then he gives a long list of miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Go on and on and on. And the answer is no. We're not all the same thing. 
you have a spiritual enablement that helps the body function. And it might be spectacular, be almost invisible, but each part is needed. And your gift might be teaching, helps. I asked a group of people a couple weeks ago, what's your spiritual gift? And one lady promptly said immediately, my gift, I have the gift of helps. She doesn't want to lead anything, but if something's starting to happen, she wants to help, okay? That's a, that's a gift, the willingness to help when it's needed. But Paul now is going to talk about the best gifts. After church, um, the lady came to the pastor. The pastor had been speaking on spiritual gifts. And she said, Pastor, I have one spiritual gift. I have the gift of criticism. <laughs> and the pastor looked at her and said, well, remember Jesus' parable, the one person who had uh, one talent? Uh, what, what, did, what did he do with the one talent? And she says, yes, he went and he buried it. He says, ma'am, I uh, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> so it's easy to have the gift of criticism, right? Go bury it. But now Paul's going to show us them a more excellent way. And this was the real focus of what I wanted to talk about this morning. Because I've learned a lot about this uh, chapter this, the past couple weeks. Um, and... Um, it's good to review it. Many of you probably might have even memorized it as kids. Have you? I did. I learned how to. I memorized it as a kid in Sunday school. Memorized 1 Corinthians 13. That was in the days when the Bible called it charity. That's how long ago it was. Faith, hope, and charity. These three. But you know, some of you may know it by heart. But it's good to be reminded of it, because what helps the body function is the fact that there's this this oil, this oil of love that helps the machinery go, right? And, and that's what he's going to be talking about, love. So let's start out with verse uh, 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And that's how he starts, because they thought tongues were the best gift and let's strive and we'll all get the gift of tongues. We'll be able to speak, uh, uh, maybe some of them could speak in the tongues of men. Maybe some of them could speak in the tongues of angels, okay? But it was all jabbering because nobody could understand what they were saying. They were crazy. But he, uh, you can do that, he said. Some would do it. But if you don't have love, you're, if you have kids, you know what clanging cymbals are and pots and pans banging around. That's all it is, right? And that's how important Paul put it. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Um, just noise if it's done without love. And this is what they thought was the most important gift, the gift of tongues. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, I mean, you can speak direct revelations from God. What a spiritual gift to an assembly. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You have all the commentaries lined up and you've studied them and you know everything there is to know about the Bible. If anybody asks you a question, you have the answer. And though I have the all faith, so as that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Um, 
really puts spiritual gift into perspective. And one commentator has said this, and I haven't, I've never forgotten it. He said, a spiritual gift is a little container which carries love. That's a spiritual gift. So you can have this great gift to be able to speak from the podium and uh, you know, just teach the word of God or uh, move mountains by your faith or speak in a foreign language just effortlessly because the Holy Spirit has enabled you to do that. But if there's no love there, you're nothing. You're a big zero. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. That's a gift of generosity, to be able to give. And you're going to give everything away to feed the poor. All my goods what a blessing you could be, but you're not doing it without love. So it doesn't profit you anything. There's no, there's no reward in heaven for you for that. It profits you nothing, but it takes love. And you're willing to be a martyr. You're going to deliver your body to be burned if necessary, and you'll do it. But if there's no love involved, uh, it's nothing. It profits you nothing. Uh, love here... There are a number of, actually there are about six or seven Greek words that mean love, and I'll just describe three of them. The first is eros, which is sexual passion. Uh, that's a love, uh, the uh, word for love, and we get the word erotic from that. Um, another word is philio, uh, that's affection. And um, my hometown, Philadelphia, that's where, that's where you got brotherly love, right? Philadelphia. Uh, Filio love is affection, and we need a lot of that in our assembly. We need affection between each other. That's important. And that's the challenge Jesus gave to Peter. Do you have affection for me? Uh, you know, after he'd betrayed him. And anyway, he went through all that. But the play is on all the words that are used to describe love. Do you love me? Do you have affection for me, Peter? This word is agape, and you know we've probably spoken about this on the, I haven't, but others may have spoken on this from the platform many times, this word agape love. In fact, you can look, there's people with businesses called agape, agape you know, sprinkler systems, whatever. Every, you know, the Christians want to name their name, uh, company name something unique, okay, they pick agape because it is a unique Christian word. It's loving, um, uh, it's, it's a God-like love, a selfless love. You're willing to give yourself to others. Okay, it's an other-focused love, not just yourself, but on others. And this is the way God loved us in John three sixteen. God so loved the world with an agape love. He said this has to characterize Christians. So, if you could put a suit on agape love and shoes and send it out into the world, this is the way it looks. It's verse four. Love suffers long. It's patient and is kind. That's how he starts it out. Love is patient, and love is kind. They're action words. And we know from other verses, I was reading Ephesians 4 and 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness, I don't have a good example of this, but I do think that kids know if you're kind to them. They'll shun you if you're not kind. 
Kids know kindness. A gentleness, a kindness, maybe that's the best word to use, a gentleness or kindness. Be kind to one another. Then it lists, and we're patient even with those who annoy us. And that is a difficult, difficult calling um, to be patient with people who annoy us. Because if I'm annoyed by somebody, <laughs> instantly a reaction comes up, right? And, uh, but that's not God's love, you see. That's not, the, that's not going to work in a Christian assembly if you have that kind of a response where you're annoyed and you tell people, I'm annoyed by this. Uh, Love is kind and is patient. So there's eight things now he lists that love is not. Two things he is right off the bat. Love is kind, love is, love is patient, love is kind. Um, so here's eight things it is not. Love does not envy. It doesn't boil over with jealousy. Um, one commentator notes that envy killed Abel. Cain was jealous of Abel. Uh, envy enslaved Joseph. His brothers were envious of Joseph. And envy killed Jesus because the Pharisees and chief priests envied Jesus. In the end, envy kills. So that's the first thing love does not do. It does not envy. Envy is wanting what somebody else has. Jealousy is something different. I think I talked about this before. Jealousy is you have a possession and somebody else is trying to get it away from you. So you get jealous over your possession. God was je is jealous over us. He's jealous over Israel because Satan's trying to pull us away from him. So he gets jealous. Envy is what, having, wanting to have what somebody else has. And it just starts eating, yep, I want that, I want that. You start saying things, doing things to diminish that person because you want what they have. Uh, that's envy. So love does not envy. Agape love does not envy. Next, love does not parade itself. It's not boastful, vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. This kind of love can work anonymously. It doesn't need to be praised. It can work anonymously. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant and inflated with pride. It's not big-headed. The fourth thing is, it does not behave rudely. It has manners. You're polite. Next, uh, does not seek its own. It does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking, it's others-centered. And that's, that's probably the biggest characteristic of love that speaks to my heart. You're looking out for the welfare of others, not for the welfare of yourself. And so what you do is motivated by others. Is not provoked. Okay, well that's a tough one. Let's skip that one then. <laughs> we all get provoked, don't we? But then with the, this, the, 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 the spirit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you see, if you have a gift, it's not going to do you any good to say, take coffee to somebody who's an invalid or take a gift and then get provoked by them. You know, it's not going to do any good. Why do it? So the love is not provoked. And to display the love of Christ means 
to not get provoked. That's hard. It thinks no evil. This is a, uh, in one Polynesian tribe, it's customary to keep some reminder of your hatred for others. If something did, somebody did something to you, to remember that you fashion something or take something and you hang it from the roof of your hut to remind you of this hatred that you have for this person. We all do that, don't we? We always have something to remind us why we should be annoyed or provoked with somebody else. And again, it thinks no evil. I, had, I heard a story, I think it was uh, Chuck Swindoll. He, has a number of, he had a number of books on marriage, which were very helpful to Betty and I. But one of them he describes, it goes into these, these verses, uh, thinks no evil. It doesn't keep a record of all the wrongs. That's really what it's getting at. You don't keep remembering, you know, I have this, 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 this against this person. Um, I don't have this hanging from the roof of my hut to remind me to hate this person. I don't need, I don't need, any, don't need any reminders. He tells the story of this couple that came in for marital counseling. And uh, the, the man was pretty beaten down. You know, his, his stoops shoulders and shuffles in. And the wife comes in pretty happy with a big folder full of papers. And they sit down and he asks, as the counselor, how can I help you? And, she, and he says, to the man, anything? No, nothing. And, the wife's, and he says to the wife, do you have anything? And she says, yes. I have recorded everything that he did wrong. And he opens it up, and page after page of every wrong he had ever done. How could a marriage succeed like that? Keep no record of wrongs. It's not going to help you. It's not going to make you stronger. And it's not an expression of love. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Finally, you know, yes, okay, that's something I can identify with. So if something goes right, I can, out of love, I'm gonna rejoice in what's good. What, what, what's good has happened, uh, I can rejoice in. And we can all do that. So those are some of the things. Now you can go through these. In fact, we can go through all these things. And actually, in place of the word love, you can put the name Jesus. And that will help you understand him better. That's where he's coming from. And if you need a role model, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy and so forth. Do that. It's very interesting to read that uh, with the name Jesus in place of the word love. Now there's four things that it does do. Again, verse 7. It bears all things. It bears up under everything, under anything and everything that comes. It believes all things. It's ever ready to believe the best about people. It hopes all things. Love has great confidence in the future. Hopes all things. And then it endures all things. Ups and downs, better or worse. It endures without weakening. So you can put uh, the name Jesus here also because we know that he bears all things with us. He believes all things in us, hopes all things in us, and endures all things with us. Verse 8, love never fails. 
That's, that's a great promise, isn't it? Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. All of our preaching from the platform in Sunday school, Wednesday night, everything is fragmentary. Um, we don't see the whole picture, but what we're given is a small picture of God's purposes for us, what he's done for us. Everything is fragmentary. But there's a time in verse, we'll look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ, this type might be right after death, you know, we're right there, we're with the Lord, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. As far as I'm concerned, perfection has come. And he talks in this uh, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Corinth was known for its prized uh, bronze mirrors in antiquity. And you take bronze and you polish it up. And if I did that, I wouldn't look at it. I really couldn't see myself very well, but that's the best they had. They didn't have silver you know, mirrors like we have today. A bronze mirror was the best. And how do you see yourself? Well, dimly. And you do see your face somewhat. And that's the way we see the Lord now, isn't it? Just in part. Uh, some ministry, a, a gesture by somebody in their kindness, uh, hospitality, whatever. Through these spiritual gifts, we see a glimpse of Christ. But when we finally see him, it'll be face to face. He'll know us and we'll know him to the same degree with perfection. There's no more mirrors involved. It's face to face. It's, a mirror is a reflection of reality. Then it will be reality. We'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see him face to face. That's our objective. Uh, the degree that we love him is the degree that he'll love us uh, even more. It says here, and now abide faith. We need that today. Hope, we need that today. We won't need it when we're with the Lord Jesus Christ, but we need it today, don't we? We need this optimism about the future. God is working and lastly, the, in love, these three, and Paul comes to the great conclusion, the greatest of these is what? Love. love. That's the greatest of them all. That's going to continue into eternity. We'll love him then. We don't need faith when we're with him. We don't need hope when we're with him. But we'll have love. And that's the grand conclusion. So my encouragement to you is this morning as we wrap it up is that your gift is important to the assembly. And Paul's listed a lot here. There's some in Ephesians uh, we haven't covered. Uh, but each gift is a way of carrying love to other believers, you see. And use your gift. Express love to others. And look for Christ in others. That helps, too. It keeps you from getting provoked. <laughs> look for Christ in others. What would that person be like if they did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? Well, that's a, you know, uh, helps me through the day. <laughs> <laughs> Just thank the Lord for his working in our lives. It gives us, again, a, a love for him and for his people that is not natural. It's supernatural. It's Jesus working in us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this time we've had together to just review what you have taught us in your word. Thank you, Father, that you've taken us as, as such weak vessels and are using us to express your love to others. Help us to do it earnestly, knowing there's a reward ahead. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who's called us 
out of uh, a life of, that led to death to a life that leads to eternal life and life in him. Use us, Father, while you can. We thank, the, thank you for all things. If no one here, if there's someone here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, convince them of that this, this, this morning. May they want to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. There's no future, Lord, in being in your sins. It's a way that leads to death. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.